deliver us the word of the Lord and Pastor Isaac McShinning. Uh, it feels like it was uh, it's been a long time since uh, he's been back with us, and uh, we have changed locations since the last time you were here. Although you're not a stranger to this pulpit, but uh, we do we do glory in God and His goodness to us that you have been able to come back to us along with Ms. Shupay this time around, and it's certainly been longer since we've seen her. Indeed, it's a blessing to catch back up uh, with her. Uh, we thank the Lord that um, He's brought y'all into our lives, into the life of this church. Indeed, you are very instrumental in the life of this church, um, and we praise Him for, for that. Uh, so, brother, would you please come and bring us God's Word? Good morning once again. It's a great pleasure. It is a joy to be uh, back among you uh, here at uh, Grace Baptist Church and uh, in a new facility. The last time that I preached, uh, it was uh, out there at uh, the other property that you had acquired and remodeled. And along the way, God granted uh, you this gift, and we, we praise him for that, and uh, we hope and pray that uh, he will do mighty things among you uh, in your new uh, location. Uh, as has been mentioned, I have traveled with uh, my wife, uh, Shupe, and uh, we are grateful to the Lord for the privilege and the opportunity uh, to be among you uh, this morning and uh, uh, to share uh, from God's uh, word uh, with you. Uh, good to see uh, dear brother uh, Joe Marlins and his wife Anne. We are, we are thankful to the Lord that you could uh, join us this, this morning. Well, let us turn in our Bibles to the book of uh, Genesis, the very first book in the Old Testament and in the Bible. And uh, I would like to bring uh, God's words to us uh, that I've entitled Grace That Inspires Worship. Grace That Inspires Worship. Our passage will be uh, verses 20 to 22, uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 to 22, uh, but allow me to begin to read from verse 13 and uh, all the way to the end of the chapter. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were driven, or rather dried, from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. 
Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Well, let us look to the Lord in prayer as we seek to hear his word this morning. Our blessed God and our Father in heaven, when we gather together in this manner, we do so because you have appointed this special day as a day of sacred rest and a day of worship. And Lord, we come now to the crowning moment of our worship service. When in the stillness of this moment, as we black out every internal and external distraction away from us and concentrate upon your word, that you'll be pleased, O God, to speak to us that it will be pleasing to you to use your servant to bring your word. And that our minds and our hearts will be lifted up to you who is above. That, Lord, we may acknowledge you for who you are. And that we'll be quickened by your spirit to do your will in this life. And therefore, we ask our Father that we might be instructed by you, taught by you, trained in righteousness by yourself, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God has created us in his image. And because he has made us in his image, he has given us the capacity to worship him. He has given us the ability to know him and knowing him that we may worship him in truth and in spirit. 
The very first question in the shorter catechism, which we must all be very familiar with, is the question, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And worship is what God has created us for. That we may know him. And and knowing him according to the way that he has revealed himself to us in scripture, we may enjoy this God. And part of that enjoyment is, is what we give back to him as an act of our worship. So worship is is that comprehensive commitment of our lives. In the language of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, it, it is that offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This, the Apostle Paul says, is your spiritual worship. So worship is is the activity of concentrating on our relationship with God as we consecrate our whole lives to him. Worshiping God in a true and acceptable way is not something that we discover on our own. It is not something that we perfect on our own. It is a response to the grace of God at work in our lives. It is a response to the revelation of God to us. And those to whom God has revealed himself in grace have no choice but to respond to him in worship. We have no choice but to come to him and acknowledge him for who he is. Because God is the one who takes the initiative to extend his saving grace to us. Is the one who takes the initiative to mold us and to make us into true worshipers. So Christian worship is best understood in terms of response. How do we respond to this God who has loved us? How do we respond to this God who has made the first initiative to draw us out of our sin-inclined world? How do we respond to this God in all the ways in which he has disclosed himself to us? And the way that we respond, and the response that is dictated by his own word, and the response that arises from a heart that has begun to appreciate what he has done for us, That is what informs our worship. That is what sanctifies our worship. And we are enabled to do so 
And the moment we begin to do so is the evidence that God's grace is at work in us. That's the sure way in which we can know that the grace of God is at work in us because we will respond to what he has done and we will be informed by his word as to how we are to respond without restraint, with a joyful heart. And with a mind that knows and a mind that is fully engaged in what we are doing. And this is exactly what we see here in the life of Noah. That is precisely what we observe in the verses that we have read. Noah, we are told, way back in chapter 6 and verse 8. That he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Some other versions say he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah walked a life of obedience to the Lord, a life that was devoted to the Lord, an ongoing relationship with the Lord. And it was because of the grace of God upon his life that Noah is commissioned by the Lord who is saddened and grieved by the exceeding sinfulness of humanity in the times of Noah. And God commissions Noah to build an ark and to preach to his contemporaries that God is going to rain judgment upon that wicked world. And no one cared to listen. And no one paid attention to the preaching of Noah. Until the flood came and the waters covered the surface of the earth. And Noah and his family go into the ark. As, as it floats away and God preserves their lives and the lives of the animals that were taken into the ark along with Noah. And now the flood is over. The waters have gone and the ground, we are told in verse 14, is completely dry. And God has commanded Noah and his family now to step out of the ark. Imagine what an experience that must have been for Noah and his family. For close to a year now, from the time that the flood came, and the waiting after the flood had ended and the waters had subsided and the ground was now dry and God informs Noah it is safe for you to now step out come out of the ark you and your family and the world that they are stepping into is a desolate and empty world 
It's a strange world. Every person Noah had known in the 601 years of his life is gone. His familiar neighborhood is not there. Every building and every highway and everything that he was so accustomed to has disappeared in the flood. And as he emerges out of the ark into this new world, so different from the one that he left when he went into the ark, what was Noah's first action? What was the very first thing that Noah did? To build a shelter for his family? No. Find a place where he can grow a garden and feed his family? No. What was the first thing that he did? And you see, we are known by our priorities. We are known by the things that we do first in any activity of our lives. We are identified by the things that we consider most important in our lives. And the very first thing that Noah does is to worship. You see that in verse 20? As soon as he comes out, we are told, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Noah builds an altar to the Lord. The grace of God in his life has inspired this act of worship. The very first act of Noah as he found himself delivered from the judgment that had come upon the world through the flood was a reaction, a response to God for his saving grace. Because this is truly what inspires our worship. Without the evidence of the grace of God in our lives, our worship is empty. Our worship is a performance. Our worship is man-pleasing. But that which comes from a heart that has, has been touched by the grace of God is true worship as we shall see. And so there are three things that I would like to very quickly highlight as we look at the story of Noah and his act of Noah, the priority of Noah, and how it informs our own worship. The first thing that I would like us to observe is the significant occasion of this act of worship. The significant occasion of this act of worship. And there are two things that I would like to mention there. Firstly, there, there is obviously, though not precisely stated, the solemn contemplation of the completeness of God's judgment upon the earth. I want to believe that all around Noah and his family must have been the stench 
of bodies of men and women and boys and girls and animals that had perished in the flood. I want to believe that they were skeletons of human beings and animals. A stark reminder to Noah that 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 could have been him but for the grace of God. A vivid reminder to him and his family that the judgment of God was thorough. The judgment of God was complete. The judgment of God was comprehensive. Everything we are told, everything perished. When Noah and his family were entering the ark, the world was fully populated. People were happy. People were enjoying themselves. People were drinking. People were marrying and getting married. There was abundance. Civilization was on the rise. And everything was going well, so they thought. Except godlessness set in. And a year later, Everything was gone. Only Noah and his family survived. For Noah to have not thought about this reality would be unthinkable, would be unimaginable. But the second thing that he must have contemplated upon as a significant occasion of this act of worship was the humbling and grateful feeling that they were the only ones preserved by God. Very humbling. Everyone else has died. Everything else is no more. Tony Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. must have been very humbling. Everything is gone. Everyone is gone. Singled out by divine mercy, preserved by divine power, directed by divine wisdom. They, Noah built the ark in which they had been preserved while all around them, everything was destroyed. And so Noah builds the ark because before him is evidence of the thoroughness and the completeness of the judgment of God and before him is the humbling and grateful feeling that we are alive. We are alive. Is that, is that the common and usual reaction of man? Not at all. That's not a very familiar reaction of humanity. Sometimes they, there's a series that runs on television. I almost died. 
Someone who is caught in an avalanche as, 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 as they, they, they go out climbing a, a snowy mountain and, and, and the snow melts and they lose their way and they are trapped in some cave and uh, uh, there's no cell phone signal to alert the people and everyone just assumes they are dead. And, and somehow... On the 10th day from the moment they disappeared, they are found and airlifted to the hospital and they survive. And then they are being interviewed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing and shocking to what they attribute their survival. So self-centered of humanity without Christ. I think I survived because of my sheer willpower to live on and hang on to life. Well, friend, it is God who spared you. It is God who enabled you to live on, to tell this story. And if God is not even in the picture, that just communicates how godless you are, how unappreciative you are of the grace of God. Immediately Noah steps out of the ark, the first thing that he does is to worship God because he dare not forget the grace of God. The passage that we read earlier on of the ten lepers that were healed of their leprosy by the Lord Jesus Christ. Ten. How many went back to thank the Lord for that act of mercy? Only one. And he was a foreigner. Because that's the, 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 the common reaction of humanity to what God has done for us, we do not step back and realize all this is by God's grace. Except for the grace of God, I would have perished in the flood. Except for the grace of God, I would be like everyone else who is ignorant of God, who does not acknowledge God, who does not love God. The greater number of many of us are like the nine lepers who never went back. And Jesus asks, Where are not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You could almost feel that disappointment from the heart of our Lord and our Savior. Was no one found? When Noah steps out and says, I will do so. I will worship you. I will not take for granted your mercies. I will not ignore your grace that has preserved us. 
We will not stay home, Lord. You have saved us. We have experienced your grace. And the Lord's day is to us an important day when we gather together because worship is our priority. We want to respond to your grace by coming into your presence to worship you. The second thing that we notice here, not only the significant occasion of this act of worship, but the nature of this worship. What was the nature of this worship? Well, Noah's response to God's favor in saving his family was to build an altar. Those sacrifices had been mentioned in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, in connection to Cain and Abel. This is the first in a series of times when God's people, faithful people in the book of Genesis, would build an altar. Abraham was to do so at three different times in the book of Genesis, in chapter 12, in chapter 13, and in chapter 22. So this is the first time. That an altar is being made. And we notice also that the altar was built to the Lord. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. In other words, this, this altar was dedicated to the Lord. It was for the honor of the Lord. It was an act of worship for the God who has shown grace to him and his family. But we also notice that the altar was used to make a burnt offering of every kind of clean animal and bird that Noah had taken into the ark. This is the first and only mention of a burnt offering in the book of Genesis. There are other offerings, but this is the first time and the only time that a burnt offering is mentioned in the book of Genesis. And I would like us to see four things that are communicated concerning this act of worship on the part of Noah. Number one, it was a spontaneous act of worship. Up to this moment, everything that Noah had done all the actions of Noah had been by the command of the Lord. He, he has done nothing except by the direct command of God. But for the first time, he does something spontaneously from the heart and is compelled to respond to the grace of God. Here is a spontaneous celebration. The result of the salvation that he has experienced is just as much a part of the necessary life of worship and dedicated to God. And so he acts in this way. What is that saying to us? That worshiping God for a child of God is a spontaneous activity, you cannot help but respond to God in this way. We are told that when children are born into this world, they want to feed. 
And the mother does not say to the baby, now let me just uh, tell you a little bit about human anatomy and uh, everything that you need to know. Uh, God has given you lips. And these lips, you have to place them on your mother's breast. And then you begin to suck. And you make sure that you suck. Because if you don't do that, you not get any milk. You understand? Yes, ma'am. So go ahead and do it. No. That's not what happens. Immediately, the lips make contact with the mother's nipple. The feeding has begun. That's, that's how natural worship must be for one who has been saved, for one who has experienced the grace of God. Because that's what God has created us for. When we have experienced his grace, we will not wait. We will say it. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. God does not say to Noah, now that you are alive, what do you owe me? And our children, as an expression of their sinfulness, you know, children, you are born sinners, and we see it when you are still young. Sometimes we have to remind you, what do you say when you have received a gift from uncle or from papa or nana? What do you say? Come on, don't embarrass us. What do you say? Thank you. No, 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 say it better. No one tells, God does not say to Noah, so Noah, I'm expecting you to say something. I mean, you are now alive. What do you, what, what do you have to say to me? No, immediately comes out, he builds an altar because grace Grace always prompts and inspires us to acts of worship. But secondly, notice, it was an act of total surrender and dedication to God. That's the meaning for the burnt offering. A burnt offering was intended to be totally consumed upon the altar and no part was left for anyone to eat. And so that is communicating to us that when we come to the saving knowledge of Christ and we are to worship God for who he is, he wants that worship to be a total surrender of ourselves and the laying of our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice and never withholding anything from him. We are all to be consumed. On the altar. But thirdly, it was an act of thanksgiving for God's preservation. In the Mosaic law, the burnt offering in which the entire animal was consumed on the altar was used for thanksgiving. You can see that in Leviticus chapter 22, in Numbers chapter 10, as well as Numbers chapter 15. Bent offering was connected to thanksgiving. 
And so the response of a worshiper, because of what grace, the, the grace of God has done in their life, is to say to God, thank you. And as children of God, we must learn to say thank you to him for what he has done. We must not be like the other nine lepers who received their healing and did not consider it such a big deal to come back and say thank you. I'm fine now. Let me go back to life. Let all those who thought that I was a spent force and a good-for-nothing individual know that I'm now well. And all the places that I could not patronize, let me go there now because I'm healed. But the healer is forgotten. We also noticed that it was an act of atonement for sin. The burnt offering was also an offering for sin according to Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4. From the example of the patriarch Job, in chapter 1 and verse 5 of the book of Job, we learned that a burnt offering was presented as an atonement for sin because Job reasoned, perhaps my children in their celebrations may have sinned against God, so he offered burnt offerings to atone for their sin. And if life is to begin anew, it was to begin with a proper approach to God, a new world to which Noah has come. He offers a burnt offering as an exhibition and a demonstration of his faith in the future atonement that was to come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the nature of his worship. But let us hurry on then to our final point, the result of this act of worship. What was the result of this act of worship? Well, two things are mentioned. Firstly, the offering was accepted. All true worship that is offered from a heart that has experienced the grace of God and is offered according to God's revealed will will be accepted by God. And the manner of uh, the language of acceptance used is very interesting. And when the Lord, verse 21, smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I'll never do this, I'll never do that, I'll never do that. That is what theologians refer to as uh, anthropomorphic language, the language that ascribes to God bodily parts that God does not have. God does not have a nostril to smell anything. God is spirit. But this is language that ascribes to God forms that are not part of his physical form because he has no physical body. Human language to enable us to understand. And and that's a very common phrase that you find throughout the Old Testament. God smelled the pleasing aroma. God accepted the worship of Noah. 
God's favor towards this sacrifice as well as the worshiper was soothing to him. And if we were to use this kind of imagery, in chapter 6, God's heart is broken by the continuous sinfulness of man. Man's detachment, man's estrangement to God, man's stubborn defiance, man's inclination to do evil continually. God's heart is broken. And the language we are told there is God regrets that he ever made man. But as he wipes every sinful person from the face of the earth, Noah responds in this way with worship And it's as if that act of worship and the sweet aroma was soothing to the brokenness, if you like, of God that is suffered, so to say, in chapter 6. The injury of man and the wickedness, the, the, the injury caused to God by the wickedness of man is changed into this acceptance of Noah's act of worship. Not only was the offering accepted, but notice that the promise was also given by God. God makes two related promises and vows not to curse the ground, verse 21b, and not to destroy its inhabitants, verse 21c. So instead of destruction, the earth will be blessed How? Blessed with the regularity of predictable environmental patterns that are undergirded by the directive hand of God while the earth remains, verse 22, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And all the regular patterns and cycles that we enjoy in life is as a result of God's grace to us. Otherwise, this world would have been a chaotic place and life to live in. And when does God commit himself to doing this? Because man has responded to him in worship. There is blessedness in worshiping God. So our passage is showing to us that the whole world owes its allegiance to God as the sovereign ruler of the entire universe. And the more we realize that truth, the more we will be indebted to our God. Well, let me conclude then with a few points of application. Firstly, the Lord's saving work on our behalf must always provoke a response of worship. Must always provoke a response of worship, of thanksgiving, of gratitude. This, this, this trip would not have been easily undertaken. It, it was nearly called off. Because while we were in Kenya, 
we experienced a temporal setback. As we alighted from the aircraft, Lusaka to Kenya, and now we are going to go through immigration to wait for the next flight to Amsterdam, I couldn't pass, find my passport. Emptied my backpack, it was not there. And the immediate suspicion was, I must have left it on the aircraft. So without much thought, I dashed back, went downstairs, was heading to the aircraft. It took us five minutes to drive on a bus from the aircraft to the terminal where we had to enter the airport. And the security man stopped. Where are you, where are you going? And they thought some terrorist is wanting to blow up the airport. Where are you going? And his eyes are wide open. So go, I think I've left my passport on the plane. Said, no, no, go back. Go back to the airline and, and report. And they are the ones who will be responsible. You are not allowed to be running around. Oh. So I go back to this lady and she made phone calls. Security people rushed there. Oh. After 25 minutes, they said, we have found it. And then they tell my wife, you rush to your boarding gate. You tell them that your husband may or may not fly until it's happened. So you make your decision whether you are going to fly alone and, and, and then he will be in the hands of the security. Well, to cut the story short, I finally made it to the boarding gate a few minutes before takeoff. The passport was found. I was checked in. And I, what, what, what do you say to that? If, if the heart was not to burst forth in gratitude and thanksgiving and just worshiping God, you are so, so good, O oh Lord. It was not our, our wisdom. It was not out of anything that we deserved. But God was gracious. If that passport was not found... I would have been in the hands of security and they would have put me on the flight back home. How did you get here? I would have been wondering. And my wife was saying, no, I was not going to go alone. We were going to go back together. I wouldn't be standing here. Wow! The saving work of God. All the gifts of God. All the mercies of God. And everything that he does for us must provoke a response of thanksgiving and worship. What has he done for you? Now have you responded to the mercies of God in your life? The second lesson that we see here is that despite man's sin... God elected to be gracious and forbearing and responded to Noah's sacrifice with grace for reasons that are totally within himself. He accepted the act of Noah. He will accept our act of worship. And it is his sovereign will to do so. But we must do what we must do as a response to this God. But you see what? The fragrant sacrifice of Noah, pleasing as it was to God, is not the ultimate sacrifice that brings us salvation. 
the ultimate sacrifice that brings us salvation is the sweet aroma that arose from the cross of Calvary as the Son of God was hanging on the cross and surrendering his life for undeserving sinners like you and me and the sweetest perfume ascended to heaven and it was done. The great transaction had been done. Salvation that was a far-fetched idea for you and for me has now been accomplished by the Son of God on the cross and Jesus paid the full atonement for our sin and you and me are now forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ because there's the sweet aroma of the death of his son that ascended to the nostrils of God. Jesus has paid it all. You and me can sit here today and sing songs and hymns of praise and worship to God because Christ's sacrifice was accepted by the Father. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? Have you received the life that he offers freely? And have you surrendered your life to him? And it is only through him and through no other that we become accepted as the children of God. And we become the true worshipers of this living God whose grace flows down to us through his son, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And only then do we become the true worshipers of the living God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Change us and transform us by the power of your spirit and by your grace to become the true worshipers of the living God and those that are clear about what God has done for them and through whom that work of your grace has been accomplished. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May our worship truly be inspired by grace and grace that teaches us what the meaning of worship is. To you alone be glory and power and majesty now and forevermore. Amen.